Welcome to the Hyperemesis Files podcast with me, your presenter, Charlotte Howden. I'm an HG campaigner and the co-producer and presenter of the world's first documentary about hyperemesis. Sick, the battle against HG is coming to a video on demand service soon. But until then, the hyperemesis files will act as a voice for all women who are currently suffering with or who have survived hyperemesis gravidarum. Welcome to the first ever episode of the Hyperemesis Files and today my guest is Sabrina who lives in London and has four children so welcome to you Sabrina. Hello (laughs) thanks for having me. No thank you for being on the show so are you ready to kind of dive straight in? Yeah let's go for it. Let's do it so I'm going to take you back 20 years to when you were 18 and you were pregnant with your first child. Now, you don't class this pregnancy as an HG pregnancy because you weren't actually diagnosed with having it. But tell us a little bit about what you experienced. So, um, obviously, I was really young. I was actually 17 when I fell pregnant. I was 18 by the time my baby was born. So I was really young. Yeah. In the middle of um, sixth form, and it was all a little bit crazy. And with all of my pregnancies, um, as soon as I've had a positive confirmation that, you know, I am pregnant, sickness begins pretty much straight away. Yeah. So following a discussion with... um, he wasn't my husband at the time, but he is now my boyfriend at the time. Um, that same night, I remember going to sleep. We'd obviously had a really long talk. We were both in shock, not really sure what to say to mm. each other or our parents. And I immediately just started being violently sick. Ugh. And I was sick throughout the rest of that night and then the rest of that week um, to the point where actually I couldn't really even... I remember him having to go into university the next day and he was like living in student accommodation and I'd stayed over at his. Wow. And um, he was like, Sabrina, I'm going to need to put you on the bus to get you home because I've got to go into uni and hand in this assignment (laughs) and you just can't stay here with my flatmates just being sick all day. Oh, bless Um, you. If you go home, I'll come round after university um, is finished for the day. So I remember him putting me on the bus um, in Streatham in South London and it being like, you know, a 20 minute journey, straight journey, straight down the road to my mum's where I lived at the time. And I can just remember doing everything that I possibly could not to just really embarrass myself oh. and throw up on the person sitting next to yeah, me on the bus been there. and then managed to get home literally crawling down the road to get myself home and just grabbed a bucket as soon as I got through the front door and was just being violently sick like continuously it just yeah. was continuous yeah um And immediately my appetite disappearing and not really being able to stomach anything. Mm. And because I was being so sick and because obviously I lived with my mum, it was really difficult to even keep the fact that we just found out we were pregnant a secret. And I pretty much immediately had to sort of disclose this information to my mum and, um, we, myself and my husband, um, Jamal, hadn't really had a proper chance to have a real discussion about what the next steps were or what we were thinking or what we wanted to do. Um, we obviously decided to go ahead with that pregnancy. But, um, yeah, I was sick. I was sick a lot through mm. that pregnancy. Mm. Um, 
and was just kind of told by my mum and my aunts and people around me that it was was part of pregnancy and that you just had to sort of get on yeah. with it. And so you're correct. I didn't have a diagnosis yeah. of HG during that pregnancy because um, I just thought that this was part and parcel of mm. the experience. Mm. And, mm. and that's what people tell you. And obviously, when you don't have anything to sort of judge it against, it's your yeah. first time. You don't know whether or not it is meant to be this bad, whether you are meant to, you know, lose your appetite and your yeah. weight plummets and all of those sorts of things or whether it's just your version of pregnancy yeah. you know everyone that I'd seen be pregnant before had had really different experiences so mm. I just thought this is just how my body reacts yeah and obviously you you were living with your mum at the time so first of all from that experience it did high premises did take away that kind of opportunity to have more of a conversation with Jamal and just you know get both of your head straight and think about you know how amazing this was and what you were going to do or maybe not do or, or whatever it was your decision together and then tell the parents but you didn't yeah. have the opportunity I find that HG stills that opportunity I mean each time I've had it obviously I've got four children and my mum yeah. for but each time I've had it it stills that opportunity to have that sort of 12 mm. week um period where it's just really private in between yeah. you and your yeah. partner um because um in my later experiences which I'll go into in a bit more detail later you know I've had to disclose to my my, my employees um my employers sorry um that I was pregnant yeah. really really early because I'm just so ill that unless I give them a real explanation mm. and protect myself um you know around sort of pregnancy employment law mm. then actually it it doesn't really go down well do you know what I mean oh I can imagine totally unable yeah. to work yeah and I, you know at that time as well living with your mum I can imagine I mean I was going to say being 17 you were very young but you know when I was pregnant with Henry at 30 too like my mum was like my holy grail like she's who I went to I didn't know I didn't know anything about pregnancy and I can imagine she must have kind of acted as your kind of you know fountain of pregnancy knowledge and yeah definitely I mean your mum's the person for most people anyway that you you go to Mm. um I've got quite a large family my mum is um one of seven children so I've got lots of aunts and things like that and equally my husband too is from a large family Mm. so we've we've got lots of matriarchs around us who all have got lots of information that they want to give or Mm. share with regards Mm. to their experience and actually it can be quite overwhelming just even if you're not suffering from HG the first time you're pregnant everybody having something to say and all of the advice and you're like do I listen to this or is that my experience or is that happening to me oh that didn't happen to me you just question and everything yeah, don't you absolutely but with regards to the illness you know you get all of the old wives tales and it's mm. like you know you need to drink this special herbal tea or you need to have ginger and if you if you you know like I'm from a Caribbean background my family are Jamaican and so they're like you know we've got these special smelling salts and if you feel sick then you just smell it and then suddenly you don't <laughs> feel sick anymore or you know like every single remedy under the sun yeah. everyone had something to suggest and yeah. for me none of those things worked that it for me it gets to about um month five or month six in pregnancy and then my symptoms begin to ease and until right. I get to that point yeah there isn't very much particularly on that very first occasion yeah. anyway that was going to help me um, yeah I literally just had to manage yeah. being sick and just try to stay hydrated yeah. as much as possible and having all those women around you I mean you know I'm picturing in my head these <laughs> wonderful vibrant 
opinionated matriarchal women around you and thinking oh I, I want that because I'm from a really small family but actually <laughs> like you said if none of them had ever heard about hyperemesis they would have Which found your pregnancy to. yeah they would have found your pregnancy really difficult because they wouldn't have understood well look I had a conversation with my mum because she did think it was a bit strange after mm. a time where I was just continuously just attached to either the bathroom floor or my bedroom floor with my head in a seat yeah. and going well it shouldn't it shouldn't be going on this long or you know and she she turned around and she said to me I don't think pregnancy is for you oh <laughs> and so you begin to get all of these comments no I think this should be the last one you're just you're just not very good at this no are that's you? it don't like, put that don't put that on your CV Sabrina you're not good at having kids not don't put that this. on <laughs> not good at this and so you begin to think all sorts and you think yeah. you begin to question actually is it me is it something yeah. I'm doing wrong is there something wrong with yeah. me is 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 it a condition and you know lo and behold until many years later when I um conceived my second child I didn't realize it was actually a condition no. and that actually it was something different and mm. something to be really concerned about yeah. and the fact that everybody in my family all of the women who had gone before me and had children multiple times and experienced pregnancy had never ever heard of it yeah I mean and I remember coming back with the diagnosis the second time and then being like what what <laughs> yeah what is that yeah what do you mean like you know, my grandmother, my mum's mother, like I said, has had seven children. And so for her, whilst there was elements of pregnancy sickness and things like that, yeah. in, in those days, in, you know, um, the 50s, 60s and 70s, when my grandmother was having children, they just kind of got on with it. Yeah. And it's very likely, um, based on the discussions that I have with um the elders in my family now that actually many of them probably did suffer with mm. hg and mm. it might be a trait in the family for some of us yeah. because um they just wouldn't have known any different because yeah. there was no one there you know reporting such severe symptoms or there were no, there weren't medical professionals who were kind of looking into this yeah. as, as, a, as a really severe pregnancy condition mm. so that pregnancy so about five months the symptoms started to go yeah I got yeah. to about five months and eventually began to feel I'll say normal and in inverted yeah. comments um I didn't actually really feel myself again until you know the moment I gave birth as soon as yeah. my baby came out of me and I had that first sort of cup of tea you have mm. after giving birth yeah I just oh it's like, good I just felt yeah it's amazing <gasps> it's just it's just it just felt amazing and I just felt like yeah. myself again but I found each time that it took giving birth to kind of mm. for for all of the symptoms to sort yeah. of disappear so is that one of the reasons why you had quite a large gap between that pregnancy and your next pregnancy because was it was it nine years in between it's a nine year gap between nine years. my first and my second so there's a range of reasons but um I'll be honest and say that um the experience of the pregnancy sickness was yeah. something that did put me off and I, yeah. I did question whether or not I'd ever have children again um but we were obviously very young and when we had our first and so um the the gap the large gap mainly was to do with sort of building our lives and yeah. um, raising a child yeah. when we're still a child. Yeah. Um, both of us finishing university, buying our first house. Um, but it was in the back of your mind almost. It was, yeah. it was there. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it, was, it was just like 
you know, not really sure that I'm ready to do yeah. this all over again. And I just wanted to be in a much more secure position to um, give birth mm. the second time around and to, to go through pregnancy. I just yeah. wanted to be in a, in a more secure um, and supportive place, um, which I was by the time we had our second. So that, that second pregnancy, nine years later, tell me about the story when you were blue lighted to hospital and in particular some of the treatment from some of the staff yeah so I mean this pregnancy is significant in that it was the first time I actually got a diagnosis Mm. and when I really thought no there's something seriously wrong because obviously with the pregnancy number one like I said I muddled through and got to the five month mark and the symptoms sort of disappeared so I was okay I didn't have to go to hospital or anything like that I just sort of coped and managed yeah um with with the second pregnancy I was so severely sick um and this was again immediately after I got a positive pregnancy test and this was a planned pregnancy um it had taken me actually about a year to to conceive so once I got the um, positive result we were really excited yeah. and we were just like oh you know it's really lovely our eldest Jaden isn't going to be an only child and then again that same night sickness came on it's almost like it's psychological that once you've you you're you've got like that confirmation that there is a baby inside you your body's like okay yep. she knows now right there you go sickness yep. starts there you go <laughs> no I think you're right there I know a lot of women who say like they suspect it and they suspect it and they feel kind of sick and nauseous and then once they you know especially you've got kids I know yeah. a lot of women think oh I bet they brought a stomach bug home from school yeah and I've got something like that yeah. and then you know your period doesn't come and then you think okay um and then when you get that test I think almost you know your body just goes right here we go and and then your brain's in it as well and then your brain's like yep we're here too exactly it's it's like a tap's been turned on and suddenly it's an it's like an overflow of this just horrible feeling so Mm. my symptoms that week um when I ended up in hospital I had loads of excess saliva which was just horrible I was literally just walking around with like sounds disgusting but literally like a spit jar because if I left the house and had to go to the shop like I my mouth would just fill with loads and loads of saliva there was nowhere for it to go Mm. you can't swallow it because you'll be sick straight away um and then the the violent um vomiting um just constant and again my husband um had just started Um, working as a teacher in a new school so he couldn't really take time off Um, our eldest was at school and I'd taken the day off of work um, Mm. and I just remember saying to him okay no god you guys go you guys go I'll be fine I just planned to basically lay in bed and be sick when I needed to and just lay in bed until I felt a bit better but this sickness got more and more um violent and I just couldn't stop throwing up so I did ring an ambulance and after given them my um you know they ask you what's wrong and yeah. the symptoms and stuff they did send an ambulance and I remember the two paramedics coming in I'd left the door on the latch and I was again on the bathroom floor and they looked into the sick bowl they saw the blood they saw how sort of um gaunt I looked yeah. and they were just like so you've been sipping at this lemonade and they was like okay take another sip for us and as soon as I took that sip I was violently sick again oh, and wow. they were like well we're now concerned that you're actually severely dehydrated mm. and obviously you're only in the early stages of pregnancy and if you are dehydrated you know your body can begin to shut down we yeah. need to get you to hospital yeah. so um 
yeah, they got me into the ambulance, blue lighted me to um, my nearest hospital. It was the hospital that I was booked into to have my baby mm. anyway. Um, and I remember, you know, normally if you're, you come in by ambulance, you're sort of wheeled in on like, you know, a stretcher yeah. or something like that. But I was able to sort of step out of the ambulance and, you know, then guide me into the hospital mm. and he put me on a chair and he went over to the desk to book um, me in and... Um, the nurse at the desk was like, oh, where's your patient? Because obviously she couldn't see a wheelchair sure. or a stretcher and she hadn't seen him sort of place me in a corner on a, on a chair. And um, he was like, oh, you know, she's over there. Um, she's got quite severe pregnancy mm. sickness. And there was just this sort of smirk mm. that came across her face as if to say, oh, one of them. Mm. Um, as if I was wasting their time or that, oh, you know, it's not anything major. And... That was the sense that I got for the early um, treatment from the medical team once I was booked in. So a nurse came over and was like, hi, Sabrina, do you want to come this way? They got me into, like, you know, a room with a bed with a curtain and they were like, so tell us your symptoms. You know, you're going over it. And I'm still being (laughs) sick. Um, And I'm asking for a sick bone and all of this. And so they were like, you know, um, we need to check... um, to see if you're dehydrated mm. so they were like we need to fit a catheter to you to see if we can uh, now they said they needed me to go to the toilet oh i've been being sick yeah. all week and not keeping anything down mm. so i hadn't actually been to the toilet for days actually um because i was dehydrated and um i hadn't even thought or even considered that oh i haven't been to the toilet well you um, don't you were too busy trying not to be sick for hours it, at an end you exactly, know exactly exactly so they were like so you can't go to the toilet? And I was like, I don't think I've been to the toilet for days. Yeah. I was like, right, we're going to need to fit a catheter to you um, and try and drain um, your bladder and see what's in there. We need oh to test the ketones gosh. in your urine um, to see if you're dehydrated. So I was like, oh, okay. I mean, I haven't had anything like that done before. Um, so the nurse comes back, goes away, comes back in, fits the catheter, and she's like squeezing the bottom part of my stomach, like my oh. bladder, trying to get some urine out. And basically, she gets the tiniest amount out. They test it, and my ketones are absolutely through the roof. Yeah. And that is when they went into panic mode. Yeah. So obviously, visually with HG, apart from people watching you throw up, mm. you, you still look like you're you're okay mm. or whatever. No one's really thinking that anything dramatic is happening. But actually, on the inside, it's doing quite a lot yeah. of damage. And remember, you're carrying another life. If you are not maintaining nutrients and, and you're not hydrated, that obviously really severely can impact on a, 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 a young pregnancy and your unborn baby. And it was only then that everyone sort of, you know, kicked the treatment mm. up a gear. Um, they hooked me up to um, a drip, rehydrated me straight away and then began to discuss anti-sickness medication as well to help um, stop the sickness because I was still constantly heaving. There wasn't much coming up at the time because obviously I was so dehydrated Mm. and that stopped um, having water. So there wasn't really, I was heaving but not actually being sick. Um, and is and, that when uh, the, the kind of what I call the cycle of hell started, where you're treated in hospital, discharged with nothing, a week goes by, you're back in hospital. I mean, is that pretty much how the rest of that pregnancy went? 
Yeah, definitely. Gosh. And you know, it, it got it gets to the point where you just actually just want to stay in hospital because it's the only time you feel normal yeah. and oh, yeah. not so sick and without all of the really dramatic, heavy um, symptoms that just make you. Gosh, you know, at, at times during hyperemesis, I just thought, you know what, I don't want to be here anymore. Yeah. Or you think. God, is this pregnancy worth me mm. feeling like this? Mm. Can I continue feeling this awful for the, the next nine months? Or the and unknown this, amount of months as well. Because yeah, I mean, you just, you just, you just don't know how long know. it's going to last. Yeah. And I'm like, I wouldn't wish this feeling on my worst enemy. No. It is the most torturous experience I've ever been through. Yeah. But on, on, on that time, that was when I had a specialist consultant come to see me and actually diagnose me and have a sit down with my, myself and my husband and have a proper conversation mm. about what the hell hyperemesis gravidarium is. And I'd never heard of that word before. That yeah, of before. course not. And it, 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 then it made me think, oh, gosh, maybe this is what I had all of those years ago yeah. with my first pregnancy. Um, but with that diagnosis, I was able then to contact my employers. It's crucial. I think, you know, knowledge, knowledge is, has been and always will be power. And even if they couldn't say to you, look, Sabrina, this is exactly why this is happening, to give you that knowledge about a condition so you didn't think it was you, you didn't think going back to your first pregnancy that you just weren't good at being pregnant, um, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and and it's interesting on that because hearing you talk about, you know, um, the women in your family and the journey I've kind of been on, I always, when I first started wanting to do something and campaign for hyperemesis was thinking about, you know, we've got to raise awareness to all the young women who are going to, you know, get pregnant in the future and come after us and yeah. actually it's the women who've always already been before us you know the mothers who are mm. now grandmothers that mm. need just as much educate education on this so that they recognize within definitely. their family is that something you'd agree with and, and do you think you're definitely I think it's about an awareness because the thing is you know if we if we talk about the young women who are yet to be mm. pregnant who might end up suffering from HG who would have never have yeah. heard of it if they end up having, um, you know, women in their families, um, their mothers, their grandmothers, mm. whoever it is, aunts, etc., saying, oh, God, well, I've never heard of that. Are you sure? Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Or just giving all of the wrong advice. Yeah. It's just so unhelpful mm. when you're already going through what is a really traumatic mm. time. Mm. Um, so I think it is about an education. It's about an awareness. And it's about empowering women to sort of get through it if they end mm. up suffering from mm. it and empowering those around them to really offer the right type of support. Because yeah. all of those unhelpful comments about oh it's just morning sickness oh, yeah. or just have a ginger biscuit or all of these different things that I'm sure hundreds of women of HG yeah. here on a daily basis from those um their loved yeah. ones around them it, it's about empowering all of us with the knowledge to know that this is a condition mm. so that people know are pointed in the right direction about where to go for support and you know what the right thing to do yeah. is in order to kind of get through yeah. it and not have such a torturous time can I ask you another it's quite a personal and direct question but I think it's really important and I've heard from a lot of black women who have had hyperemesis mm. um and they've told me some of their personal stories and I just wondered for you was being did was being a black woman did that have an impact on your treatment and your care do you think I think if we think about um the issues around um 
pregnancy and, and black women's experience mm. with, with pregnancy and sort of um, pre and postnatal care, there is historically and um, with the Black Lives Matter stuff that's coming about now, lots of women are talking about the fact that they don't feel heard. Yeah. So I think in my first experience on reflection, when I was telling people something doesn't feel right, mm. are you sure this is right? I just don't think people really listen to you. And even if you think about, you know, that example I told you in my second pregnancy of even the smirks yeah. from the, the, the medical team at the hospital when I was being booked in after being brought in by ambulance. I mean, you know, sometimes a paramedic will turn up at a situation that they're called out to. And if they don't think a person is sick enough, they don't waste the hospital's no, they don't. time. They, they also advise to, you know, um, the, the person who's unwell and say okay, look, you can call us back at any time, but this is what you need to mm. do. And they avoid taking you mm. to hospital. I'd actually been brought into the hospital. And even then, the initial reaction from some of the medical um, team that were there was very sort of blasé, little bit sarcastic, and didn't really take me seriously yeah. until, like I said, they'd done those tests later in the day. This is hours mm. after my arrival there to, um, you know, really ensure that I was being taken yeah. care of and, and really listened to. I didn't feel listened to and I almost felt relieved that there was something wrong and they couldn't get any yes. urine out. And, yeah. and I was like, because I'm like, is it me or am I am I going yeah. mad? Am I just being really dramatic yeah. and not strong enough to get through this pregnancy? Yeah. Or, or is there something wrong? So I have to say, mostly my experience as a black woman is that both my prenatal and postnatal care during all four of my pregnancies have been brilliant but I've been very um selective with the local hospitals yeah. that I go to um we've got a fantastic um medical center that is our local GP sur um, surgery mm. that offers lots of extra services so you know my midwives mm. are on tap if I need them and, and things like that also um you know I feel like I feel like um, class does come into it sure. because you know I've I've had lots of social mobility through my own education mm. and my career as a teacher um, in the fact that we've bought homes and moved away from you know where we originally grew up mm. and had our first child and things like that. Um, I'm an English teacher, I'm a communicator. So whenever there's anything wrong, I'm quite open and say, look, I'm not happy with this or I'll happily yeah. ask questions. Whereas I think that there are lots of black women who actually go into um, medical environments where there are obviously lots of professionals mm. and your doctors and mm. nurses are meant to know best and would sometimes maybe not challenge or um, question or interrogate mm their own circumstances or their own care yeah. um and so I think a lot of black women can go unheard just just for um fear of you know well not they, being taken seriously yeah. or just 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 because yeah. they think actually no one's no gonna, one's gonna listen. Really listen yeah which is so sad and I and when you when you put it in those words and I think about actually through your pregnancies um I mean, you've had four pregnancies. So as a mum, you are a very seasoned mother. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. you know what you're talking about. I've only had one, so I'm coming to you for advice. But, and you know, all these experiences I can tell just by speaking to you are very strong, 
very good at advocating for yourself so if you if you mm. look at a woman who just doesn't naturally have those qualities anyway yeah. and then feels yeah. marginalized going into a yeah. you know a professional place and there's yeah. no one there for them to really turn to and feel safe and, and comfortable with then you can yeah. see why it happens and it's it's really sad um yeah Let's move on then. Also, sorry, just yeah. before you move on, also the, the, uh, what surprised me was that um, there was only a handful of medical professionals who really had a good awareness about HD, yeah. even that second time when I was diagnosed. So clearly, like, you know, that the medical team who were there and sort of laughing about morning sickness and things like that, instead of thinking, oh, actually, we might have a HD case yeah. on, our, on our hands, this is the way we need to manage this, just sort of laughed and, and giggled. It wasn't until I saw the consultant hours mm. later that, you know, you find someone who knows their stuff and knows about these conditions that, you know makes you realize that if there's medical professionals that don't know about it then there's definitely going to be so many women who yeah. are just overlooked with regard in regards to yeah this. And, and we have so much trust in healthcare professionals don't we it's like yeah. I, I often like kind of um compare it to you know i'm not a mechanic if i take my car to a garage and a mechanic says this is what's wrong with it i go okay because yeah. i've got literally yeah. no knowledge whatsoever about you know cars yeah. and how to fix them and how they should run so so many women just do that and they are very trusting um yeah and i think especially with medical professionals yeah absolutely and well that leads really nicely into seven years later is that right for your third child and this time it seemed like there was a doctor there who was really up for trialing different medications for you different combinations and seeing what worked and really getting a hold on trying to manage your symptoms is that right definitely um I was obviously really aware of HG and recognized the signs as soon as they sort of um, developed in this third mm. pregnancy again this was a planned pregnancy um, another quite big gap and actually after my experience of pregnancy number two yeah. I was pretty convinced I probably wouldn't have yeah. any more children so um, I've we, we got pregnant about it took about three months to get pregnant and again positive pregnancy test and sickness yeah. straight away all of the same symptoms um, this mm. and um, yeah, it was that cycle of hell where you're just going back to In hospital all the time. Mm. I remember mm. on one occasion, they wouldn't admit me um, because A&E was just, it, it was at the height, um, this pregnancy was in 2017, and it was at the height of, you know, the NHS being really overrun and overcrowded. Right, yeah, all those problems. All sorts of issues going on. There just mm. wasn't even a bed for me. So as a pregnant woman, you know, I, I went to A&E in the middle of the night at like two o'clock in the morning. A&E on the um, outside was empty, but once you got through the doors um, for the sort of triage and where the, your initial treatment takes place, Every single room was full. There were people in the corridors. And in the end, they set up, um, they brought me a drip. They brought the drip to me and asked me to lie across three seats. You know, those horrible metal seats in the corridor. Probably better on the floor, to be honest. I mean, I just felt so ill. There were no beds. There was no way that they could, there there just was other priorities, Mm. really, Mm. because, Mm. you know, I think they had loads of knife incidents and all sorts going on. And so, you know, I was there pregnant, having severe sickness in the corner. They were rehydrating me and I was beginning to feel 
better. And so after a few hours, they were like, we're going to have to ask you to go home. Um, But um, again, it continued for about six months and I was in and out of hospital just just having that. But like I said, one of the doctors at my GP and and what was good here, um, because I'd been with the same GP for for so many years, is that... Yeah, I was going to ask you that actually. Did you keep the same kind of doctors throughout all these experiences at least they had well it was knowledge just, of you it's because it's a medical center they can't always guarantee you see exactly the same doctor right. but all of my notes are there on online on screen yeah and so anytime i went to see anybody all my notes was in front of them so all of my pregnancy related notes from my second pregnancy were there to be seen and because i'd had the hd hg diagnosis in the second pregnancy when the symptoms came back and when i was um going in and out of hospital um to be rehydrated you know that that information from the hospital gets transferred to your gp so when i went into my gp to say okay right I know I need anti-sickness mm. medication, but the ones that I've been sent home with from the hospital don't work. I just yeah. happened to have a GP that were like, right, okay, this is what we're going to do. Um, looked up my notes, you've tried this one. These ones in the hospital seem to make you feel okay. Let's try those mm. for a week. Mm. If they're not if they're not right, come back. And so we just went through a process of trial and error, trying yeah. different anti-sickness medication. Because what you also have to understand is that one um, anti-sickness remedy might work for you but it might not yes. work for me absolutely they're, they're all different so I'm gonna tell all the listeners now to sit down <laughs> hold on um don't have do not be operating heavy machinery <laughs> right now and I'm gonna ask you Sabrina <laughs> how many how many months after your third child was born did you fall pregnant with your fourth three months later <laughs> oh holy mother of jesus <laughs> when i read that in your story i was like this is what i, I may wait. tell you i just want to basically offer you contraception on the postnatal <laughs> ward because lo and behold yes the reality is is that things like this happen in real life yeah. you get pregnant literally straight away and yeah. it wasn't planned i have to be honest it wasn't even in my thoughts and it was it was so naive for two people who have had three pregnancies <laughs> to think that you know in the heat of the moment you know exclusively breastfeeding and you just given <laughs> birth and all of these things that you hear which mean that you're not going to be pregnant yeah. if you have unprotected sex it's all a lie yeah. trust me it's if a you lie have unprotected it's, it's gonna... sex, you're going to get pregnant <laughs> says says the teen mum <laughs> my lesson almost 20 years later no but you just do you, you, you still got the baby hormones running through you you know you've had a baby you're excited and things happen yeah, you know not, just especially when you've had high premises I mean having sex isn't really on the top of the list no. is it <laughs> so you know let's say it's right at the bottom yeah. so you know it, it happens but I mean what was it like when you saw that positive pregnancy I mean that must have, have been I have to be honest I considered determination yeah and and I don't think like I said that no one no one should judge any woman anyway because it's our decision but I mean, there's a whole HG community right now going, we're right there with you, girl, yeah. because there's absolutely yeah. no way. Yeah, it was. But there's a happy, there's a happy ending. Well, what happened was, is um, 
my husband was was dead set against having an abortion anyway but said to me look think it over it's your body and yeah I've just watched you go through what you've been through and I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy either and I totally understand if you just feel like you can't do this yeah yeah and um I left it a few weeks and then I realized that actually there was no sickness and there was you know no you know all of those other horrible symptoms like excess Mm. saliva and all of this stuff there just Mm. wasn't anything like that and I have absolutely no idea whether or not I still had loads of you know hormones rushing around me from the previous pregnancy you know sort of having a newborn I was exclusively breastfeeding so you know Mm. hormones to do with that and I have no idea whether those hormones just counteracted with the the new wave of pregnancy hormones that was going through my system but it was a hg free pregnancy and that's just incredible it definitely contributed to my decision to continue with the pregnancy yeah absolutely you know extend our family and Mm. obviously there are really large gaps between um my first three children and we just thought actually it'd be quite nice to have a really close gap this time yeah I wouldn't advise a 13 month gap to anybody now that I've lived the experience I I do feel like I'm as a duty of care I have to have a disclaimer here saying look it's not really a good idea you get a little bit longer than that yeah exactly if you've just had high promises don't test it and see if it happens to you but it's but the thing is this is a point in this podcast is to share these stories it's not to advise women to do anything no. particular but it is it is really interesting that you suffered through all of those three pregnancies and this one no and no. it's an interesting theory perhaps your body was like okay I've got to do one thing at a time and I've got to breastfeed this child mm, exactly. so I, I can't be being sick and you don't know yeah, do you like you I've I've done quite a lot in terms of campaigning and talking about HG. Yeah. I've spoken to lots of women and mostly um, it varies actually. Lots of women say who have had more than one pregnancy say they've had it every single time. But yeah. um, there are a couple who have said, no, I had yeah. it with this one, but not that one. Sabrina, thank you so much for joining oh, me. It was my first me. episode <laughs> and it's so nice to have a really friendly face and someone who gets it and can talk and I could probably talk to you for hours, oh. but um, we've nearly been at it for an hour yeah. now talking. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you so, so much and um, all the best to you and your wonderful family thank and you. to your husband, Jamal. Thank you. And um, yeah, I'll let you know when the episode's out. Looking forward to listening back to it. <laughs> Thanks, Sabrina. Thank you. Bye. Bye. In today's episode, Sabrina talked about ketones. When she was in hospital, she was tested for ketones via a urine sample. And we all heard how distressing that was. If you are currently suffering with hyperemesis and have been refused IV fluids for dehydration, please note that testing of ketones is not an accurate indicator for the condition. Please go back and challenge your doctor And if you would like more information about ketones and how to handle this situation, please talk to your local hyperemesis charity. Thank you for listening to the Hyperemesis Files. If you have been affected by anything that has been spoken about in today's podcast, please visit your local hyperemesis charity or speak to a healthcare provider. For more information about the documentary Sick, The Battle Against HG, 
please visit www.thesickfilm.co.uk.